Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. You've been searching in the dark, sweat soaking through the floor. And buried in your bones, there's an ache that you can't ignore. Taking your breath, stealing your mind, and all that was real is left behind. Don't fight it, it's coming for you, running at you. It's only this moment, don't care what comes out. Alright, what's up, my dudes? What's up, my dudes? It's the Casey's Corner podcast. Um, Casey's Corner after dark, so to speak. We're going to give you some bonus content. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to try out for a while. I didn't, you know, know the topic or the right, you know, category to break this out on. So I'm going to do it on the Backlash pay-per-view for WWE. Uh, it's, a, you know, wrestling, wrestling is such a, a niche and there are so many people that uh, like it, so many people who are turned off by it. So I decided I was going to give you a rundown of my thoughts on Backlash. It literally just finished 10 seconds ago. Um watched the whole show, took notes, I'll go down match by match, tell you what I liked and what I didn't like, a couple of rules for Casey's Corner After Dark, um, I'm not going to be editing, there will be no commercial breaks, um, if I drop an F-bomb, I drop an F-bomb, if, you know, there's, yeah, I'm going to warn you right now, if, if you, you know, not that I'm going to be going out of my way to cuss, but, you know, I'm not going to be watching what I say, um bonus content uh if you like wrestling feel free to, to listen all the way through if you don't like wrestling and you don't want to listen at all you're not hurting my feelings um but yeah let's go uh we had backlash today at the wwe uh headquarters or studios rather in, in florida um uh show started off uh, we're gonna go from the beginning to the end show started off with apollo cruz versus andrade in the pre-show um, Apollo Crews gets the win, gets a power bomb after Garza uh, interfered and Kevin Owens gave him a stunner and it distracted Andrade, allowed Apollo Crews to get the power bomb and the win. Um, match went seven minutes, 25 seconds. Yes, I was the asshole that was timing the matches for this. Um, and I got the times throughout the entire show. Um, first thing, why in God's name was this on the pre-show? Like this was, I think Apollo Crews is great. I think Andrade is great. I think Kevin Owens is great. And when, like, this was a match that could have easily been on the upper, like, not even just on the main card, but, like, the upper half of the main card. These are good performers. This was good work. This was a good match. I think the right finish, Apollo Crews deserves to hold on to the title for a little longer. A couple of notes. Um, Kevin Owens is one of the best things you've got on the entire roster. Why is he on the pre-show? Why is he not wrestling? Uh, find an angle to get him in the ring. He shouldn't be Apollo Cruz's sidekick. Um, I also think that we're setting up for Kevin Owens, pretty obviously, to turn back heel. Kevin Owens, as a babyface, is wasted. Um, he is best when he's a heel. You know, headbutting Vince McMahon in the ring and all the different things we've seen him do. He's going to turn on Apollo Cruz and win the United States Championship. It's just a matter of time. Um, but this was a solid match, man. Andrade's good. Hector Garza's good. I've told you guys many times. I think the Andrade Garza Vega uh, stable is one of the best things going on Raw. Um, Apollo Cruz could wrestle. He could work. He's he's a good performer. So this was a solid opener. It should have been on the main show. No reason it shouldn't have been on the main show compared to some of the the things that we're going to talk about here that were on the main show. First match that was actually on the main show was the. Um, Triple threat tag match. The champions, Bailey and Sasha Banks versus uh, Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss versus the Iconics. 
Bailey and Sasha get the win with Sasha Banks getting a pin fall over Alexis Bliss on a roll-up. Um, match went eight minutes and 50 seconds. First things first, um, it was very apparent to me um, who belonged on this stage in this match and who did not. Um, Bailey is a world champion. Sasha Banks is a world-class performer. Alexa Bliss is a world-class performer. Nikki Cross is not quite at that level, but is a very solid performer. The Iconics are terrible. Um, their gimmick is, is, is okay, and it's okay every once in a while to have them on Raw and in SmackDown, and we can laugh and joke and, at how corny and how cheesy they are. In the ring, they're terrible. Um, they stood out like a sore thumb in this match because they couldn't perform at the same level as the other teams could. Um, I think that the booking was correct. Bailey and Sasha Banks deserve to go over, but the Iconics should have been the ones taking the pin here. Alexa Bliss worked her ass off in this match. She shouldn't have been the one that got pinned. Um, the Iconics tried a big high spot on the outside of the ring, nearly crippled everybody. Uh, it was botched. They just didn't have the, the same chemistry in the match. You could, you could tell that Bailey, Sasha, Nikki, and Alexa all had great chemistry. The Iconics stood out like a sore thumb. They didn't have that same level of chemistry with the other performers. Um, the, the match itself was okay. It was decent. Um, the storyline and the storytelling, though, was incredible. Um, the, the promos before the match where Sasha, and, Sasha, Sasha Banks and Bailey are being interviewed and you know, they're teasing. They're continuing to tease this big breakup and... We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to happen. Well, it's going to happen at some time. It's wrestling, but we don't know when. And it's it's entertaining, man. It's entertaining as heck. And I, I'm I hope that they string this out for a long time. Keep teasing it. Keep teasing it. Keep teasing it. Make us wait for a long time. Um, and then whenever we least expect it, hit us with it. Hit us with the turn. And I think that everybody would be shocked. Uh, so solid match that the champions retain. Uh, I really like that storyline. The Iconics are, are, are trash. Um, don't deserve to be in that spotlight. Don't deserve to be in that stage. And quite frankly, should have taken the pin. <sighs> now, on a show that I quite honestly thought was a really good show, we now move to Sheamus versus Jeff Hardy. Um, Sheamus wins via the broke kick over Jeff Hardy. 17 minutes. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, before I, I talk about the idiocy that is giving these two guys 17 minutes, this storyline is, is way, way, way too personal. Um, involving Jeff Hardy and his drinking issues. And um, what does that do? Like that, that doesn't make the company money. That doesn't make me want to watch this match any more or any less. All it's doing is shaming an employee just for the sake of shaming an employee. Um, it's cheap heat for Sheamus just for the sake of giving him cheap heat. Um, it's not a very good angle. I didn't like the build. And um, I commented this on Twitter. Like, Sheamus doesn't have heat. Like, the, the real heels in wrestling, we boo them, but we boo them out of respect. We boo Sheamus because Sheamus sucks. Um, it was a stiff match. There were two veterans. You could, they both handled themselves in the ring. Okay. But 17 minutes for this is just entirely too much. Um, and then Seamus gets the win via bro kick. Um, I don't know, man, just not my cup of tea. Uh, not a, a, a ginormous fan of either one of the guys and to give them that much time on a pay-per-view, 
I didn't I, I don't dig the storyline. It's too personal. It's not going to enhance anybody. You know, you could bring in that type of shit whenever you're trying to to put somebody in the world championship picture. Sheamus and Jeff Hardy are low card guys now. Neither one of those guys are going to have a belt. It's just shaming Jeff Hardy's career for no other reason than just for the sake of doing it. It's cheap, and I didn't like it. That match should have been on the pre-show, quite frankly. Um, You know, throwing urine on somebody on SmackDown like Jeff Hardy did to Sheamus maybe is entertaining to Vince McMahon. Uh, And that that was, you know, what got it on the main show. But this by far was the low point of the show on what I otherwise thought was a very good show. And we're going to continue to talk about that as we go on. But, you know... Jeff Hardy could still work a little bit. He 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 did some good things. Um, but Sheamus, man, he's stiff. The big time bot spot and with Jeff Hardy on the top rope. Um, you know, it was um not not the best work. This could have been a 10-minute match. They decided to give it 17 minutes, and as I said, I wasn't a fan. Third match, we had Nia Jackson Asuka, which ended in a double count out, which means Asuka retains the uh Raw Women's Championship. Um Let's talk about this for a second, uh, because folks who listen loyally to our work here know that I am not a Nia Jax fan. I have been very critical of Nia Jax, very vocal about criticizing Nia Jax. I think that she's out of shape. I think that if she, um, I think she's stiff. I think the fact that she has hurt so many wrestlers on the roster is deplorable. Um, you know, your biggest goal as a wrestler is to protect the person that you're in the ring with and time and time and time again, she's injured the person she's been in the ring with, which I think is deplorable. Um, I said before this match started and I got the text message proof, uh, with my buddies and the little group chat that we had, I said, there's no way this match goes more than seven minutes. And I said this for a couple of reasons. Um, first, I didn't think that Nia cardio wise could hold up for more than seven minutes. And second, I didn't think she could work for more than seven minutes without injuring someone. Um, but they got eight minutes and 30 seconds. It goes to a double count out. And a couple of things, you know, if I want to pick on Nia Jax as often as I do, I've got to be willing to say some of the positives as well. Um, y'all, man, she's strong as an ox. Like Nia Jax is strong as a mule. Um, she showed her uh, her strength in this match several times in several different spots. Um, if she would just trim off some of that baby fat and you know get in better shape get better cardio and which would allow her to be more flexible and more able to do some of the spots that are asked of her to do in a match you're looking at a wrestler who is a legitimate superstar because she's strong as a mule you can't you know as Enzo Mori would say you can't teach that Um, she's got that elite level strength that you cannot teach Um, but you know, she just is a little bit clumsy because, you know, she's just not able to work physically the way that the other performers are able to work because she's got that little bit of extra baggage and I get it, you know, double ACL tear. She was out of commission and, you know, that hurt her cardio or whatever it may be, but she also was out for more than a year with that. So she had time to get in better shape. I wish she would, she would commit a little bit more to her cardio, commit a little bit more to her look and her image. And she could be a legitimate star. And she showed it in this match. She had flashes in this match where she was doing some things physically that no other women's wrestler in WWE could do. Um, the double countout finish is a little bit quirky. Um, I think that it, it tells us that we're going to see more of Asuka and Nia Jax. I think that this feud eventually ends with Nia Jax tapping out 
uh, to Asuka. I thought that that probably should have happened here. I don't think that uh, we need to see more of this. Uh, let's move Asuka on to, you know, Asuka's such a great performer. She could, you know, as the old wrestling saying goes, you know, she could have a good match with a, you know, a light post or, or a broomstick or whatever expression you want to use. Asuka got the most out of Naya here. Now let's put Naya in a feud with someone else who could also work. And then, man, we could look at having a 10 or 15, 20-minute match that would be really, really good, really, really solid women's wrestling, as opposed to Asuka just kind of carrying Nia Jax through a match, which is what we saw here tonight. Um, and I don't like the double count-out finish, man. It's uh, it's anticlimactic. Um, now, granted, we haven't seen one in a while, so that alone made it a little bit less bad. Um, but it's like a tie in an NFL game. It's like kissing your sister. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, so I was a little bummed by that. But all in all, to be honest with you, if you would have told me before the pay-per-view, Nia Jax and Oscar, what do you think? I would have said right out the gate, a D minus or an F. And this was a C plus or a B minus. Like it wasn't a bad match for what it was. The ending was kind of quirky. Nia Jax, though, all, all, like I said, yeah, if I want to, if I want a dogger, I got to be willing to give her credit. This is as good as she's been in quite some time. Um, she had some moments, and I know that working with Oscar helps because she makes a lot of performers look good, but she had some moments and she showed me some things that I was not aware were there. Then from there we moved, we had two straight uh, championship matches, world championship matches. We started with uh, Miz and Morrison versus Braun Strowman. Uh, Braun Strowman goes over, gets the pin after about eight minutes. That was the one match where I didn't start my stopwatch on time. Um, so I added two minutes into the, the, the total that I had. So it was about eight minutes, give or take a little bit here or there. Um, you know, this was one where, um, they made chicken salad out of chicken shit here in this one. Um, because I was very, um, open about how I didn't like this idea. Um, I thought, you know, I, I don't like the whole handicap match and I don't like when, you know, your world champion is is so strong that he's beating tag team champions and going over him easy. And I thought openly that this was going to be a squash. I talked about that at, at length um, on this podcast throughout the last several episodes. Kudos to the bookers um, because this was not a squash. Um, this was actually a pretty even match. Miz and Morrison got a lot of offense on Braun as well they should get a lot of offense on Braun. Like, those are two Hall of Famers. Like, those are two guys that are going to someday be giving their induction speech on that podium. You know, these are two guys that deserve to have their offense on Braun Strowman. And before we talk a little bit about the match, um, <laughs> Miz and Morrison are, are awesome. Uh, and no pun intended, I guess, when we were talking about Miz. Their music video before the match was incredible. <laughs> like, in a, in a time in WWE where there's so much cheesy stuff and there's so much quote-unquote comedy stuff, and we're going to talk about some of that a little bit later in this show, um, there's so much stuff to try to give comedic value and relief um, during the show, and most of it falls flat because I think a lot of the writers don't understand the audience as well as they should. Miz and Morrison and some of the comedy stuff that they that they do is, is wonderful, and their little music video... It's so corny. It's so bad that it's good. And, you know, uh, Byron, not Byron, um, Corey Graves humming along during the show to some of the you know, the beats and everything to the song had me laughing, man. It's a, it's a rare wrestling comedy spot that actually made its mark. 
and that kind of got me into the mood for this one. The the slight tw- uh, you know tweak to the booking to where Miz and Morrison couldn't be the co-world champions if they won, that which the winner, um, whoever would, would secure the pin would be the solo world champion. Very subtle tweak, but it ended up being uh, big in the match, and you know it showed that it made sense in terms of how it was booked. Um, so going into the match, you know, Miz and Morrison controlled a lot of it. They had a lot of the offense, as I said. It wasn't just a squash, um, which is which is what I thought it was going to be. Um, then you know at the finish, it looks like Miz and Morrison are going to get the win. John Morrison's on top of Braun, and then Miz lifts him off of um, of Braun which allows Braun to come back and crush Miz and gets the pin eight minutes. Um, for what it was, um, which is a match that was a handicap match and no one in the entire world thought that either Miz nor Morrison were going to win, this is one of those where whenever you have a match that the outcome is so certain amongst the fans, you've got to find other ways to make it entertaining. And I thought that this one kind of hit. Um, I, I thought that this one was more entertaining than I than it than I otherwise thought it was going to be. Um with the the kind of false finish and Miz kinda sorta of turning on Morrison but kinda sorta of not. Um then all the musical stuff and, and everything like that. I thought that that was very good. Um so this one over you know over exceeded my expectations and Braun Strowman gets the win and it was a situation where um again uh, good work by all this was a pretty good match. Short um, not overly serious, but no one ever expected it to be overly serious. So, uh, you know, this is, um, pretty good stuff from a match that in, you know, some of my commentary before I didn't think was going to be pretty good stuff. So now we move to the other world championship match, which was Lashley taking on Drew McIntyre. Of course, Drew McIntyre, the champion. Um, I think that Bobby Lashley, before I talk about this match, it's there are a lot of um it goes to show and i guess drew mcintyre is an example of this as well maybe i'd be better served starting off with drew mcintyre um as wrestling fans we like to think that we know everything we like to um label and paint guys with a broad stroke uh whereas you know and i'm guilty of it too earlier in the show i i said you know i think sheamus is garbage well there were a lot of folks who thought the same thing of Drew McIntyre at one time. He was in a jobber gimmick, 3MB. He was um, losing and, and not you know fulfilling his expectations and getting released and going to TNA and then coming back and, and rebranding himself and becoming the eventual world champion. Now, the same thing could be said for Bobby Lashley because at one time, Bobby Lashley was... You know, run of the mill, uh, steak eating, vitamin, you know, taking, milk drinking, baby face, all American baby face. And it just didn't click very well. Um, he was good, good character, great body, you know, pretty good in the ring. It just wasn't clicking. It was too stale. It was too starch. Like people didn't buy it. Um, obviously, he, uh, he defended the hair of the president of the United States at one WrestleMania. That was probably the high point of his career. Uh, but other than that, didn't really have much of a run of significance. You know, winning the ECW championship back whenever, you know, WWE relaunched ECW, that means very little uh, because that was always kind of a joke belt. But in the last couple of weeks, uh, since he's turned heel, and especially since he's aligned with MVP, 
he's got a whole other layer to him, and he is now a legitimate, legitimate superstar. Um, this is a guy where if this feud continues beyond this match tonight, I would be happy with that. Um, I would be happy with the lack of closure and the continuation of that because he, A, he's had to endure a lot of dumb shit. Um, you know, the early babyface stuff wasn't great. The marriage and the wedding with Lana and all that stuff, it was, it was dumb. Um, he's had to endure a lot. He's been in Brock Lesnar's shadow kind of, sort of. Um, but he has come through that, come out to the other side and is now a monster heel with some charisma, some swag. He's got a mouthpiece and is a bona fide star. And this was a 13 minute match, um, which it just goes to show how stupid it was that Sheamus and Jeff Hardy got 17 minutes. The two world title matches combined got 21 minutes, which is just slightly longer than Sheamus and Jeff Hardy got in 2020. Um, but anywho, it's good to be friends with Triple H, I guess. But anywho, um, these guys worked stiff. They beat the hell out of one another. Physical ass match. Um, Lashley got on him early, gave him the full Nelson before the match started, which kind of sold that McIntyre was going to win. Um, but that's okay uh, because you're, you're trying to build up McIntyre as a, as a presentable, legitimate force and champion. Um, I said very physical. And another thing that I want to point out here, um, and this was a theme throughout the entire show, Samoa Joe is really, really good as a color commentator. Like, ridiculously good. Like, future Hall of Famer good if he sticks with that. Um, he adds an element of realism in that, like, in, usually in wrestling, there are two types of commentators. There's either straight laced where you're calling it like a boxing match and you know very cardboard you're calling the action nothing more nothing less or you are a huge mark where you're either a huge baby face or a huge heel and you're not selling anything either way and you're like byron saxon huge baby face bobby heenan huge heel um jerry lawler has played both roles um samoa joe has the ability to give some of that MMA realism feel while also maintaining his role as a heel. And he was calling this match, talking about the different types of holds that Lashley was putting on McIntyre while also low-key, subtly rooting for Bobby Lashley. And I was just thinking, and we're going to talk more about the commentary in, in the main event because Samoa Joe is really good, man. Like, I, I don't know what his aspirations are. He's getting older. Um, but he could do this commentary thing for another two decades and be really good at it and make a lot of money. Now, a couple of negative things about this match. Um, the kicking out thing at one for McIntyre is a bit much. Like, you're not Superman, dude. Like, you're not um, better than Hulk Hogan ever was. You're not better than The Rock ever was. You're not better than Stone Cold Steve Austin ever was. If they could, you know, kick out at two, why can't Drew McIntyre kick out at two? like every other wrestler in the history of wrestling. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make him look strong and everything like that. Um, but at, at some point, it's a little bit too strong. It's a little bit much. And quite frankly, it's a little bit annoying um, to just blatantly be no-selling shit that, that, that's being given to you. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit much. Um, but outside of that, man, there was not a whole lot of, of negativity to talk about in this one. As I said, the guys were very stiff, um, worked very hard. 
Uh, they were beating the tar out of one another, and I actually took the note here. I'm going to read it straight out of my notepad. This is what a championship match should be. Very physical, um, kind of a quirky ending. Um, you know, uh, Lashley's in control of the match, and it's doing moves to McIntyre. McIntyre keeps kicking out. Lana comes out and says, uh, you know, gets on the apron, tells the referee that he's cheating or whatever, and then Bobby Lashley um, accidentally knocks Lana into MVP's arms and get thrown down off the ring. Then McIntyre lands the big kick, and the match is over. Um, one of the highlights of the show, this was a good match, and I thought it would be. Uh, this was one that I had good expectations for going in, and I was happy to say that, you know, I, I was proven right. This was a good match. Um, the shot, the camera shot, the production and theatrics and, and everything that were, you know, if if one thing, if there's one thing that WWE learns from the pandemic and, you know, the, the stoppage in, in you know, having fans and, and everything, if there's one thing that they've learned, I think that they're spending more time now on how they display the action to us. And I think that there were certain things, and we'll talk about this heavily in the Edge and Orton match, there were certain things that they did tonight that were better than they've done in the last several months. And they paid such great attention to detail in terms of the, the camera shots that they showed us, how things were presented, and the, the shot at the end of this match of... MVP of Lana you know, uh, laid out on, on the floor after just getting knocked down. Lashley's just lost. Lashley's still in the ring, but they had one shot where MVP is about five, six feet away from Lana to her right, staring, like kind of glancing out of the side of his eye, looking like he's got nothing but the devil in him, uh, just fuming, absolutely furious. Uh, if looks could kill, she'd be having a funeral tomorrow. And uh, I thought that was very powerful, and, and it, enha it enhances the storyline, easy for me to say, uh, going forward. And um, then, you know, Lashley walks away with MVP and, and leaving Lana laying there on the mat. Um, we've got a lot uh, that we could build on here. Now we've got a good foundation. We could we could uh, enhance the, the Lashley and, and Lana and MVP thing and go away from the title picture. We could, you know, enhance the... Lashley and MVP and Lana thing and stay in the title picture and make, you know, the, the excuse of, well, it was a fluke win. It was, it was garbage. It didn't mean anything. Um, it was good booking. I thought that it, it, it kept Lashley as strong as possible because what you didn't want to have is you didn't want to build him up the way that they built him up in the last couple of months and then have him fall flat and just kind of get creamed. But they kept, uh, you know, they, they kept the title on McIntyre, which I think is the right thing to do, while also making it seem like a fluky win, while keeping Lashley in control of most of the match, and planting kind of that seed in the back of all the fans' minds of that, well, if this wouldn't have happened, Lashley would have maybe won. And that's that's good booking. That's, that's great psychology. And I think that it tells us that we may be seeing more of these two men, maybe towards SummerSlam as we head to, uh, toward the rest of the summer. Couple of more things. Uh, then after this, we had the classic let-up match, or if you want to call it a match, where we had the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders um, fight in the back. And first, they destroyed Braun Strowman's car, um, and then it became very apparent that we were going to be seeing another one of these heavily produced Lucha Underground—I call them movie matches. 
where you know there's music and there's cutscenes and it's heavily edited. Um, I I I have mixed feelings on these things. I think that the Undertaker and AJ Styles was awesome. I think the Firefly Funhouse match was awesome. I think the Money in the Bank ladder match was the biggest dud perhaps in the history of the company. I thought that was terrible. Um, I liked this one. I didn't love this one, but I liked this one because if ever there was an angle that fit being cartoony, it was this one. Um, we've seen the program on Raw over the last couple of weeks where you know they're bowling and they're playing basketball and they're throwing axes and you know playing putt-putt golf and all the different things. It's been a goofy angle from the start. So I thought that they produced it well. And I, I've always kind of had the thought in the back of my head while watching Raw the last couple of weeks, like, these teams are starting to like one another a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of becoming a more friendly rivalry. And that's kind of what we saw, where they were beating the hell out of one another. And then, uh, you know, they're going through uh, glass and fighting and brawling. And then the ninjas show up. And I know <laughs> it sounds crazy to even be talking about this in 2020. Uh, ninjas show up on motorcycles and then they decide to fight together and um you know they fight off the ninjas and then in the final scene the ninjas uh break out their secret weapon who was pretty obviously Shaquille O'Neal um in a mask you know bearing a sword and instead of fighting them off they run away and then they get to the top of the WWE truck and then they decide to fight again and um it was for what it was it was okay okay you know for what it was it was okay this obviously was just something to allow fans to reset their energy before the championship match and then leading into the edge and Orton match you you know if it wouldn't have been this match or this type of match it would have been you know in the in the 90s it would have been a midget match in the 2000s it would have been a hornswoggle match in the 2010s it would have been a santino morella match in 2020 it would have maybe been an r-truth match this was just something to change the pace, to change the flavor for a little while, to get everybody's minds off of, you know, the hardcore seriousness of, of the title matches and everything, get them to pause, get them to relax, get them to refocus their brains a little bit before the 40 something minutes of wrestling that came after that. So for, for what it was, I thought it was okay. And again, the, and the, the production in this stuff is, we could argue until the cows come home that the movie matches are not wrestling and the people who are making those arguments may be right but you can't argue that the level of production the level of video editing the level of sequencing the timing and all of that is like world class like it's it's movie level stuff it's very good shit and um i, I thought that this one um not as good as the two at wrestlemania not as bad as money in the bank somewhere in the middle and for the two gimmicks involved who are already kind of cartoony gimmicks to begin with i thought it worked out and it continues their angle going forward so now that leads us 30 minutes or 31 minutes in to the main event which was edge versus randy orton um the greatest wrestling match of all time throughout the last month there is no human being who has been more critical of the buildup 
who has been more critical of the hype, who has been more negative towards the title of this pay-per-view than me. I have said openly, I didn't think that there was any chance of this being the greatest wrestling match of all time. I was open in saying I didn't think the two wrestlers, even in their prime, could pull that off. I was open in saying that by <clears throat> throwing that out there, you're doing more harm than good. Um, I didn't like the Ric Flair stuff. I didn't like the Shawn Michaels stuff. I didn't like being reminded of everything in my past that I loved because then now I'm going to naturally compare this to that. And I didn't think there was any chance that this would compare to that. So I want to say now, at exactly 32 minutes into this podcast, I owe Edge and Randy Orton an apology. I owe Edge and Randy Orton a big apology. Because I thought that this was going to be not very good. I thought this was going to be a standard run-of-the-mill, above-average Monday Night Raw match. And we got a match that people are probably going to legitimately be talking about for a long time. They worked for more than 40 minutes. Um, they 44 minutes and 45 seconds to be exact. Um, and a couple of things, a couple of little things, and then we'll go into the kind of the, 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 uh, the meat and potatoes of the match. From the, the very beginning, uh, little details, man. Little details make so much of a difference in the presentation. Um, the referee in the old school wrestling suit with the bow tie. I like that. Um, that went back to my childhood of WrestleMania 7, WrestleMania 8, and some of my first memories of wrestling. Those were the suits that the officials wore back in the old school days. Uh, you know, those were the, the, that was the images that we had. The second thing, and perhaps the thing I liked the most in this entire pay-per-view, and I literally was getting a tear in my eye hearing it and seeing it. The mic coming down, and then the, again, little things, little details, camera shots, visuals, little things. That camera shot of the, the black backdrop and the dark mic that said Madison Square Garden and Howard Finkel, the late Howard Finkel's voice, introducing both men. Goosebumps, man. I don't know who was responsible for that. I don't know whose idea that was. They say now that Bruce Pritchard, who fantastic podcast host in his own right, go find them in the iTunes store, something to wrestle. Um, they say that he's booking Raw and SmackDown both. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I don't know how much of a hand he had in this match. But whoever was responsible for that Howard Finkel little touch there, F and A, man, that was awesome. That every single wrestling fan from every era had to th think that that was just it set the stage for everything. I, like I, I went into this with low expectations, and when I saw that, I immediately caught it caught my eye, and I went from being cynical to thinking, okay, wait, this is this shit just got a little bit more serious now. And um, the match started off slow; it was methodical. Had that old school territorial feel, very crafty, and it felt like to me, um, it felt like we were taking a stroll through different eras of wrestling. The beginning was very 80s, very technical, mat holds, submission holds, grinding on the mat. Then we got to the 90s where there were more suplexes and superplexes, and then we got to, you know, to the 2000s where there was more of the hardcore shit, and they were fighting outside, and beating themselves on the glass and then we got to more of the modern stuff with the RKOs and the false finishes and this was this was a great match 
this was a great match. I, I was wrong. Um, I don't think this was the best of all time, but it's certainly in the discussion. Um, and it, it did far more than what I ever thought it could do. Um, Edge, I don't know how much more Edge has left. Um, and I say this medically. Was physically, obviously, he could, he could still do it. He proved that tonight. Medically, I don't know how many more matches he has left in that neck. But if he, if he could give the company four or five of those a year, he could make money for the next five to ten years um, because he was great. He could still do everything that he used to do. Um, he could still perform. Randy Orton worked with him. They had great chemistry. Um, it, it was stiff at times. It was physical at times. It was technical at times. And uh, there were just so many things that we could talk about, and we're going to continue to talk about here in the next couple of minutes. Um, Randy Orton got busted open. One of the, one of the only quirky things about this uh, was they pretty blatantly uh, stopped recording the match and cleaned up Randy Orton after he got busted open. Um, I've spoken to a lot of indie wrestlers about this uh, since it happened. When you get cut at the top of your forehead, uh, either hard way or either blading or whatever it may be, that's not going to stop bleeding until you know, you go and get cleaned up. As long as you're working, as long as you're straining, and as long as you're sweating, those pores are going to be open. You're going to keep bleeding. So Randy Orton went from bleeding to just magically not bleeding. <laughs> so, I mean, they I don't know where it happened. Um, I'm not a, a film expert enough to, to analyze the tape, but somewhere in there, there was a hard cut, and they stopped the match, cleaned up Randy Orton, and then continued. That was a little bit cheesy to me, a little bit too 2020 to me, but whatever. Um... I thought the the history, and again, like I said, it felt like a walk through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and then until now. The Eddie Guerrero suplex spot was awesome. The rock bottom, the the, the pedigree, um, so many of the the different finishing moves. It was like a it was like a wrestling encyclopedia. I and I watched this match alone, but if I were watching it with a younger kid who was you know eight, nine, ten years old, I could have talk them through this match and explain to them yeah that was something that they did when I was little or that was something that they did whenever I was a teenager or whenever I was in college and I thought that it was all interesting wrinkles that added layers to this match another thing that was great was the camera work and look I don't know if that little sky cam thing that they had uh, I don't know if that's feasible to do during live action. Uh, but look, this, this Edge and Art match was pre-recorded. Um, you didn't see this live. It was pre-recorded, probably heavily edited. But I don't know if you know you can't do that Skycam live for logistical reasons. But I enjoyed seeing that aerial shot of you know the whole ring. And I thought that was some good shit. Uh, they got some good angles from that. I thought that that was great. Um, the piped-in audio. I can't emphasize this enough. My God, the piped-in audio did so much for this. So much so that I talked about this on Twitter and I maintain this now. They should pipe in audio for every match until the pandemic's over. Just having that extra layer of the crowd reactions. And I know that it sounds manipulative in terms of, oh, well, they were telling you how to feel when you should feel it. I don't care. Knowing that, you know, soap operas do this all the time. Television shows do this all the time. The music gets creepy whenever you got to pay attention. Well, whenever the crowd started making you know louder noise, I knew to pay attention. And I knew that something important was about to happen, and I'm okay with that. So having that, that cheering and booing and, and being kind of led 
you know, out the pasture by the WWE and them kind of holding our hands through this match with the added audio, I thought was wonderful. Um, and then the third little layer, again, the commentary was great. Um, Samoa Joe, awesome. You know, the play-by-play, awesome. This is an era in WWE where their commentary very often is not very good. Um, I don't know how intensely edited this was, probably very heavily so, um, but the commentary really sold this. Those guys were losing their shit. Uh, they were, you know, going nuts, high spot after high spot. They were freaking out, and having announcers that care about what's happening makes us as the consumer more likely to care. It, you know, seeing the the NXT guys in the in the audience jumping up and down and going crazy that makes me more likely to want to jump up and down and go crazy because at the end of the day, you know, we're all marks in some type of way. So to know that, that it's emotional for the people in the building, it's going to be more emotional for me watching it. If the guys in the building don't care, I'm not going to care. That's just the way it is. Now, there were a lot of false finishes. Um, there were a lot of, you know, spears and RKOs being kicked out of a lot of high spots, a lot of Moments where, you know, we were wondering, is this the end? Is this not the end? Or whatever it may be. Um, 44 minutes and 45 seconds maybe was a little bit long. Um, But, okay, at at WrestleMania when they fought, I was intently saying, like, this has got to end. This is 10, 15 minutes too long. Here, I wasn't feeling like it was dragging out until the very end. So the flow of this match was better than the WrestleMania match. Um, it ends with, uh, Randy Orton getting sort of a low blow on edge and then landing the punt to the head, getting the win, which I thought was great booking because now it's, it's one-to-one, um, edge beat him at mania, Randy Orton beat him here at at the pay-per-view. And I think it sets up a round three, either at SummerSlam or Survivor Series or next WrestleMania, however they want to do it, um, you know, you got the legend killer, and then you know, the series is now tied in one apiece. So uh, we're, we're very curious to see if there's going to be a third one or if Randy Orton's going to just kind of get the final rub and go over. I'd be okay either way, but I would like to see another third one as long as it could be done, you know, kind of to the same level that this one was done. Um, the visuals of Randy Orton laying on top of him and telling him to go home to his wife and kids and don't come back, and, you know, that's psychological that's jake the snake roberts stuff that's that's just good shit that's shit that we don't see very often anymore in today's wwe uh very good stuff i I was very pleased um i thought that this was going to be like i said just an above average raw match and ended up being a a highly above average pay-per-view wrestlemania level match um stole the show It, it stole the show and i i was wrong i said in the lead up to this that I hoped I was wrong. I hoped that they outkicked the coverage, so to speak, and they did. Um, this is going to be a match that Randy Orton's going to be remembered for, and this is going to be a match that Edge is remembered for. It was it was incredible. Very, very good. Kudos to them. Well done. So ranking them now, I guess, uh, the best match on the show was the final match, uh, Randy Orton and Edge. That was, that was the best match. Um, my second favorite match, I guess we could say, would be Lashley and Drew McIntyre. That was very good. Third favorite match, I would go Apollo versus Andrade. Then we go Bailey and Sasha in the, the triple threat tag match. Then we go, um, you know what, let, let, me, let me go back to square one here. Best match, Randy Orton and Edge. 
Second best match, Lashley and McIntyre. Third best match, the Apollo and Andrade match. Fourth best match, Miz and Morrison versus Braun. Fifth best, the triple threat tag match. Then we go Nia Jackson, Asuka. And then we end it with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. That that would be the order that I would go. And truly, and that's not counting the, the Viking Raiders and, and Street Profits, because that technically wasn't a match. Truly, the only one that I really didn't like was Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. And it wasn't that I didn't like it so much as I just... You got to get me, you like, your story has to make me care. And I don't care about that story. I don't care about those two guys. The, the in-ring work wasn't bad. I thought that every single performer on the roster tonight, except for probably the Iconics, performed well in the ring. Um, but, you know, the storytelling in that Sheamus and Jeff Hardy match just isn't my cup of tea. It's too personal. I don't like it. But all the in-ring work tonight, by and large, was really good. And it leaves me with this final thought is that, you could tell me on social media and on Twitter how something is the greatest thing of all time. And even though no one is watching it, statistics show that it's that no one's watching AEW. Um, but you could tell me that Cody Rhodes is the greatest. And you could dive through tables head first. And you could do suplexes off the top rope through tables. And you could do all the things that they're doing. But if you don't have star power and no one's watching, it's almost like it didn't even happen. So this show reinforced to me tonight... WWE's MLB, AEW's AAA. That's just the way that it is. Now, can they fix that? Yeah, they can. Is it fair for me to, you know, write them off all the way with, you know, just a year of experience? No, it's not. Is competition good for the business? Yes, it is. But don't tell me that they're the greatest, you know, thing in the history of, of the sport when what I saw tonight, man, there was some pretty good shit on this show tonight. And that was without Seth Rollins competing. That was without, you know, some of the, the, the better Kevin Owens didn't compete tonight. That was without AJ Styles. That was without Daniel Bryan. So when you're having this level of a show and some of your horses aren't even on it, like the talent pool in WWE is so, so much richer. You're not going to see a Billy Gunn wrestling in WWE. You're not going to see a Dustin Rhodes wrestling in WWE. Especially not if they only had two hours of, 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 of TV time a week. So until that roster gets deeper over there on the other side, you're, you're second best. And, and when, whenever I say second best, it's really third best because you're behind both Raw and SmackDown and you're running even with NXT. So just wanted to hop on real quick and, and give you a little bonus content. I'm going to be doing more of this um, in the fall. I'm going to be doing a ton of this, but I'm going to roll out a plan for what exactly is going to be coming. Um, I know a lot of folks don't like wrestling, so I wanted to give something specifically to my wrestling contingent, but I didn't want it to be a formal episode. So a little bonus content. We're going to break down the pay-per-view, and we're going to do this for some MMA shows. We're going to do this for a lot of different stuff. But we're going to sign off right here. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast. After dark, we're giving you a little bonus content. Go find us on iTunes. Go subscribe. Go do all that good stuff. Keep it on LaFouchegazette.com. Good night, everybody. Enjoy wrestling, fans. (laughs) 